This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. My name is Judson Pierce, and I'm an attorney at Pierce Pierce and Napolitano in Salem, Massachusetts. And we're bringing you another edition of Workers' Comp Matters with special guest Alan Pierce. Uh, Alan, as you know, is normally the host of this uh, show, and he has agreed to be a guest with me today. Before we get into our topic, Alan, uh, and, and listeners, we want to thank our sponsor, Casebaser, practice management software dedicated to the busy trial attorney. To learn more, go to casepacer.com. And PINow.com, find a local qualified private investigator anywhere in the United States. Visit PINow.com to learn more. Alan, today we're talking about the personal comfort doctrine. As most of us are aware, for an injury to be covered under workers' compensation, it must arise out of and in the course of employment or scope of employment. Yet there is a subset of cases that collectively come within what has been called the personal comfort doctrine. Can you give our listeners a brief description of these types of cases? Thank you, Judd. It's a pleasure to be here. As you correctly noted, for injuries to be covered, they have to arise out of and in the course of scope of employment. However, based upon the nature of employment, human nature, uh, there are certain activities outside what we would generally consider to be uh, the scope of employment that nevertheless might be compensable. And this is a general category of cases that are known as the personal comfort doctrine. And these cases that arise under this doctrine usually include injuries while eating, drinking, using bathroom facilities, seeking fresh air, smoking, and things of that ilk. Generally, for an injury to arise out of the employment, it must be the natural and reasonable incident of employment. Uh, but activities of personal comfort and convenience of a, of a worker while at work have been deemed incidental to employment on the theory that these activities improve the efficiency of employees and therefore benefit the employer. Can you um, illustrate for us the types of activities that are covered under this doctrine? Well, as I mentioned, it's, it's pretty much all of the basic needs that might arise during the course of a six, eight, ten hour or day uh, workday or longer, and again, eating, drinking, bathroom, smoking. Uh, there are a large category of cases that deal with injuries, having meals on the employer premises or taking coffee breaks, water uh, cooler breaks, smoking breaks, even though that is becoming less and less uh, common. And when these cases arise, oftentimes uh, the insurer takes a position that the particular activities did not occur in the course of scope of employment. Lunchroom or meal cases generally fall into two categories. One where their meals, let's say it's a lunchtime injury, take place on the employer's premises versus injuries that occur off the employer's premises. So from what it sounds like, it, it's a very factual case-by-case -case analysis that one would need to take. Uh, depending on your jurisdiction. Is that true? Yeah. In fact, we should probably make note of this at the beginning and, and uh, at the end of this particular episode of Workers' Comp Matters. 
whatever cases that I may cite in the course of this program, keep in mind that um, similar or dissimilar results could occur in other jurisdictions. And some of these cases are older cases, and the whole nature of adjudicating workers' compensation cases uh, may change over time. So that what I'm going to allude to are sort of the general precepts of cases that have already been decided, but you should not rely uh, that in your particular jurisdiction, an injury that might occur in a company cafeteria in Massachusetts may be covered in, in another state. Could you give us a brief analysis as to the phrases first, quote, arising out of, and then, quote, in the course of? When I was going through the materials, um, I was having some trouble, and I had to read it over and over again to define what those two specific quotations mean. Yeah, and that's a very common question, and a lot of a lot of clients and a lot of um, people just don't fully understand the distinction between an injury that arises out of the employment and arises within the scope and course of employment. Generally, scope and course of employment means during the workday, while you are at work. But arising out of means that the work somehow has to have caused the injury. So, for example, somebody might suffer a heart attack or a stroke at work during the course and scope of his employment, but unless the work precipitated the heart attack or the stroke, it cannot be said to have arisen by the employment. So you need both. The arising out of uh, means that the work somehow caused or contributed to an injury occurring within the course and scope of is the place where it happened. And by a similar set of facts, somebody could be, let's take the heart attack example. Somebody could be engaging in heavy exertional work in the workplace, start to feel poorly, go home, and then suffer a full-blown heart attack while at home, even though the heart attack may not have occurred in the course of employment, it arose out of the employment so that there is a nexus that carries over. But um, that's pretty much the distinction between arising out of and in the course of uh, and scope of employment. And that is usually central to these personal comfort cases and the recognition that workers need to take breaks, not only for their own health and convenience and comfort, personal comfort doctrine, but it also benefits the employer. And these cases are decided sometimes on whether the activity does in fact benefit the employer and whether the employer acquiesces to the activity or uh, allows the activity to occur on its premises, such as providing a break room for meals as opposed to um, there's no place for a meal and employees have to go out of the premises and get injured at a restaurant or a snack bar or crossing the street, those cases could be compensable as opposed to other situations where they wouldn't. So it is very, very much fact-driven, and a slight change of facts could change the outcome. Yeah, I noticed that in some of the cases, the fact that an injury occurred in the premises does not guarantee compensability. In other words, if an employee is in an unauthorized part of the employer's premises, that claim or that injury may deemed to be non-compensable, correct? Yeah, I'm going to go back to a case where um, and, and believe me, when you read these cases, you can't, unless, you, unless you've experienced it directly, you can't imagine how many ways people can unfortunately find themselves getting hurt. I want to refer to a case that came out of Illinois back about 30 or so years ago where the employee was injured crossing over a conveyor belt. 
And the reason he was going over the conveyor belt was he had a frozen chicken pie. And there was an industrial oven, and he was going to heat up the chicken pie. Now, normally, if he were injured while eating the pie or preparing the pie or the meal, he would be covered. But here, uh, the court determined the injury did not arise out of or in the course of employment because in that case, the injured worker voluntarily and unexpectedly exposed himself to an unreasonable and or unnecessary risk. And the court went on in denying the benefits or upholding the denial of benefits to find that the employer had no knowledge, nor was there any type of implied authorization for the person to do that. So in that case, while the person was hurt while seeking to prepare a meal during the workday, the particular facts of that case uh, took it outside of the personal comfort doctrine. There's another case in which there was a, um, a death involving a young boy who was 15-year-old. He was a laborer at a mountain resort. And uh, during his lunch hour, he was authorized to use the gym and the tennis court. However, the boy was found drowned in a lake during the lunch period when the lifeguard was off duty. The boy apparently went swimming, despite regulations notifying all persons uh, that swimming was not permitted uh, unless a lifeguard was present. And in that case, benefits uh, to the relatives of the laborer were denied. So again, it was a, an act of personal comfort. It was during a, a known lunch hour, but it was a prohibited activity, even though I suppose, you know, taking advantage of, of swimming was an act of personal comfort. So you can see how subtle a distinction that is. Now, that case I just referred to was a North Carolina case. It was a 1979 case. It's the Martin von Clarken assembly case. Those same facts in another jurisdiction could result in a wholly different award. Keeping in mind, we're dealing with a 15-year-old laborer, and a lot of times courts or industrial boards will make special allowances for minors. But however, in that case, I found that to be a fairly rigid denial of benefits. Uh, but it is illustrative of how acts of personal comfort, even during the workday, even during an acknowledged work break, may go over the line and not be compensable, such as the fellow who climbed over the conveyor belt. Very interesting. I mean, take it to another level in terms of lunch break and in eating. Say an employee wants to um, eat in his or her car to listen to the news on the radio or to make a phone call from his car. He drives off the employer's premises because he's going to get that lunch and he's injured. Would that fall in a compensable or non-compensable uh, arena? Well, you know, cases like that have arisen from jurisdiction to jurisdiction with results that have gone both ways. So when we as injured worker attorneys get a client with a set of facts, or if you are defending these cases as a claims representative or a defense attorney, you would want to look at the facts that would seem to point towards work-relatedness. For example, is the employer aware that this person is going outside the employer's premises to get lunch? Is the person on the clock or off the clock? Is it a company car or not a company car? Is the personal phone call that the person might make or the phone call the person might make in the car uh, a business call? Are there any facilities on site for the person to have lunch? So that as we would develop this case, we would try to find as many facts that would point to an employer benefit even if it's an intangible benefit, even if it's a a bit of a stretch, but nevertheless a benefit, as well as employer knowledge, acquiescence, uh, permission, or prohibition. We've had 
situations where workers are told not to go off premises for a particular reason, yet they do. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes the the uh, violating a prohibition is enough to deem the case non-compensable. So these cases are very much fact-dependent and past custom and practice comes into effect. All of these things come into effect. We talked about eating. Let's talk about drinking before our break. <laughs> um, and hopefully we'll be okay during our break. It's been held that in most employers, you'll see a water bubbler or you know, water talk conversation in the lunchroom. What is the general consensus on drinking and uh, you know, obviously it's personal comfort to go and get something to drink? Yeah, and those those cases are the simple cases. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, a worker getting a drink of water from a fountain, a cooler, or obtaining liquid refreshment from a soda bottle generally will be covered. Any act necessary for the comfort or convenience of the employee while at work, even though personable to him or her, and not technically out of an act of work, is generally considered to be compensable. But there have been cases that have tested that. For example. Uh, there was a Texas case in 1968, a uh, Hopkins case with Liberty Mutual, where an employee was beaten up by a co-worker when he stepped in front of him at a drinking fountain line. It was held that the act of getting a drink of water was incidental to the employment, and the injuries resulting from getting beaten up were compensable. But even more unique, there's an old Massachusetts case going back to 1931, uh, the Hughes case, Hughes was leaving his work area for a drink of water, and he opened the wrong door. He opened the fire door, which he thought was the door to a stairway, and he fell down an open shaft. Clearly, that was held to be compensable. There have been a whole series of exploding soda cases. There was a case out of Arizona, again, many years ago, a Goodyear aircraft case, where the employee was opening a bottle of soda, which burst and caused his injuries. So that these cases, uh, that case was defended where the employee arranged to bring in his own soda for his own pleasure and refreshment, but he was nevertheless awarded compensation. There's another case that came out of, I believe it was Florida in 1988, where the employee worked for a gas station and he was permitted to purchase drinks and he thought he was opening a can of fruit juice. As he was drinking it, he realized that it tasted suspiciously like gasoline. He became sick. And believe me, this case went all the way up to the District Court of Appeals in Florida, where they, uh, the court held that the personal comfort doctrine applied because the employee use of drinking this was incidental to his employment and uh, it wasn't done intentionally. So that, you know, the activity of the employee is central. There's another case out of uh, Virginia uh, where the injured worker was crossing a public street to get a soft drink, and he was hit by a car. That was held to be compensable. So you see a lot of these cases butt up against other doctrines. So we have the personal comfort doctrine, but we also have the street risk doctrine. So if somebody is injured while on the street, either as a pedestrian or in a car, if the employment is somehow connected with the trip, then the street risk doctrine comes into effect. We also have the going and coming rule where somebody might be going to get a snack but has punched out of work and might be then going home, uh, perhaps at lunchtime, and the going and coming rule may butt up against the personal comfort doctrine. So you have a variety of interrelated doctrines that somehow will either help or hurt the establishment of compensability of a worker's comp case. 
Great. Before we move on, we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. CasePacer is the leading practice management software for today's workers' comp and plaintiff's attorney. Named one of the fastest growing companies in America by Inc. Magazine, we've given attorneys and their staff the ability to work from anywhere on any device. By automating workflows and streamlining non-revenue generating tasks, CasePacer enables firms to grow their practice at minimal cost. To see CasePacer in action, contact us today at CasePacer.com. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. And we're back with our special guest, Alan Pierce. Uh, Before we left off, we were talking about the personal comfort doctrine as it relates to breaks for lunch and for uh, drinking. Why don't we talk about the vending machine cases? I noticed a few of those. What happened in those cases, Alan? Well, believe it or not, uh, there have been a number of people unfortunately injured uh, while using a vending machine. And uh, those of us who are fans of the Seinfeld show, there's, I remember an episode where uh, George was trying to get a Twix bar out of a vending machine that was stuck and he was kicking it and pushing it. Well, you can imagine what happened uh, in the case of Circuit City Stores versus the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. That didn't involve a a Twix bar. It involved a bag of Doritos. And a young lady, it's a company vending machine and the employees uh, break room. So there's no question here that this was an employer uh, benefit of having this vending machine. And uh, the young lady was trying to get her Doritos that she duly paid for that somehow got stuck between where it is kept and where it drops. Now, she isn't the one who got hurt. A gentleman by the name of Dwyer, a co-worker, was, saw her struggling, and uh, she was getting nowhere. So he thought that he might take matters into his own hands, and he backed up a couple of steps, and he body-checked the machine, freeing the bag of Doritos, but uh, greatly injuring his shoulder. And the interesting thing about that case, where the employee was awarded workers' comp, was the Illinois Appellate Court did not rely upon the personal comfort doctrine. It relied upon another doctrine we don't see very often in workers' comp, but it's known as the Good Samaritan Doctrine. So here, they were saying that the injured worker was acting as a Good Samaritan in the course and scope of his employment to help uh, the co-worker uh, free uh, the bag of Doritos from the machine and, and was injured. But there have been other cases reported where the person shaking the machine shook it so hard that the machine fell on him caused an injury. And there's been other cases where the machine fell but injured a passerby co-worker. Generally speaking, these cases will be compensable unless the injured person, him or herself, took themselves out of the personal comfort doctrine. In other words, perhaps engaging in misconduct of its own. So let's assume the worker 
was so frustrated about the bag of uh, chips not falling that she punched the machine and punched through the glass and cut her hand. I can see many workers' comp boards or even appellate boards denying benefits because the, the punching of the machine probably would take it out of the personal comfort doctrine. It might be an act of, if not intentional injury, enough employee misconduct to void the liability of comp. But again, these cases are very fact-dependent. And keep in mind, workers' comp is a no-fault system, and that means both the employee's fault or the employer's fault or co-employee's fault generally aren't considerations except if the fault rises to a certain level. So the question, let's say, on the hypothetical I gave where the uh, woman punched through the glass and cut her hand, if that were simply a negligent act on her part, it may not preclude benefits. But if it were to be considered by a finder of fact to be more than negligence, enough negligence to take that person out of the workers' comp arena, then uh, the case could go uh, for a denial of benefits. Let me ask you briefly on the athletic, recreational, and social activities generally. I know that uh, our firm has had a case with a skier on a ski trip while uh, being a teacher for the school that you handled uh, successfully for her. Um, What are some other cases that you've run across uh, having to do with recreational or athletic or social activities? Yeah, well, first of all, the recreational injury doctrine, it's it's also a doctrine, again, rests upon a particular jurisdiction if it has in its statute prohibitions for injuries involved in recreational activity if the injuries are purely voluntary. So in the we could do a whole show on recreational activities, company teams, company parties, company outings, uh, where there is drinking, not drinking, dancing, sports activities. But in the personal comfort how this intersects, uh, because these doctrines have a tendency to intersect each other. You could have, for example, an employer having a basketball hoop outside in the parking lot, and during lunch breaks or coffee breaks, the employees would go outside and and play basketball, or they would exercise as a relief of stress. Mm -hmm. So it could be argued that it's a personal comfort injury, or it could be argued if there is a prohibition on voluntary recreational activities that it's not covered because it's a voluntary recreational activity. In jurisdictions where there is no statute detailing what is or isn't covered by recreational activities, one would employ the same test. Does the employer benefit? Is it something that is acquiesced by the employer, encouraged by the employer, discouraged by the employer, prohibited by the employer? Is the supervisor playing along with the injured worker? Is there sort of some friendly competition? So all of these things kind of will build together to make your case. Now, another case in our office, and it's, it's, it's not been decided anywhere because if the case was resolved, but this is a, a good illustration of personal comfort versus recreational activity. We had a client who is a diabetic, and when his blood sugar needs to be regulated, he had a fairly sedentary job. He would, of necessity, have to ingest some, some sugar And if that didn't do the trick, he'd have to engage in some moderate exercise. This is what his doctors prescribed. So during his workday, he started to feel his blood sugar levels uh, changing. And there is a jogging path. So he went out at the company jogging path in the back of the premises. He went out for a brief jog and he twisted his ankle and he tore a ligament. Now, the employer defended the case on the grounds that this was a purely voluntary recreational activity. He was out jogging uh, to get some uh, exercise. Our argument was this was for his personal comfort or personal health. 
And I don't know how that case would have gone if we had tried it. Fortunately, it didn't involve a whole lot. The insurance company saw the wisdom of entering into an agreement. But it's illustrative of how something that might on its surface appear not to be covered because it's a recreational activity could nevertheless be an item of personal comfort or personal health. And it also, this conversation is important to remember that the employer is deriving a benefit from a worker who is rested, who is not hungry, who is able to be the most productive worker he or she can be for the employer to do so they have to do almost activities of daily living on the job. Yeah, that's correct. And and you see that running through a lot of these decisions. There is something I, one thing I would want to mention before we close is that, you know, the nature of employment is changing. We have people working away from the, the normal workplace. We have people working at home. And, you know, now you get into questions if somebody is at home and they go to use their bathroom, is that a personal comfort break? Is that still part of their non-work-related uh, living at home. So those are factors. The other factor is that when this doctrine came up, and you, you find these cases going back to the 30s and 40s, back then, if you're a student of workers' comp history, a couple of things are noteworthy. Number one, years ago, workers' comp was the only remedy. There were very few employers had long-term or short-term disability policies or extended sick pay or health insurance, or if the worker was injured at a personal comfort situation and there was some employer negligence, if it isn't covered by workers' comp, the employer could get sued. So we were seeing a lot of awards for what you might think was a stretch because there was nothing else. It was either the employee gets nothing and uh, his medical bills or her medical bills go unpaid so that the whole humanitarian nature, the beneficent design, the the benefit of the doubt going to the injured worker was more at play. So what I've seen over the years is, A, the injured workers or workers in general have a few more safety nets than they may not have had a generation or two or three ago. And we're starting to see, and I hope this is not a trend, we're starting to see courts and tribunals not viewing workers' comp as a humanitarian a social program for the benefit of injured workers, but rather uh, the humanitarian and beneficent design of the whole workers' comp scheme seems to be less and less of a focus, especially in the appellate level. So when you look at those two criteria, some of these early personal comfort cases that look like they were pretty much out there might be decided differently today. Before we uh, stop for the program, I, I just wanted to touch briefly on the traveler uh, the person uh, doing business, you mentioned uh, at home, but what if the person's uh, at a business trip and it's an elongated business trip? Does the insurer have liability almost 24-7 for that person? Um, generally speaking, that, that gets involved in traveling employees. And basically what that means is if you are on a company business trip, you are in the course and scope of, well, you are in the course of your employment 24-7. Uh, but the injury still has to arise out of uh, employment. So if you are on a company business trip, but you engage in a recreational activity, you go out uh, dancing in a nightclub and you hurt yourself, even though you are covered uh, because you're in the course of your employment, that injury may not have arisen out of the employment. There are also a whole group of cases in which uh, employees have either been injured or killed in houses of prostitution traveling employees. And, and some of the earlier cases awarded benefits. Uh, in a death case, uh, usually if there was a surviving spouse or children, they would not be deprived of benefits. And again, the courts recognize that engaging in 
a sexual activity is a normal function, perhaps uh, not quite on the same uh, footing as eating or drinking, but it's been enough uh, so as to bring those cases within uh, the purview of the Workers' Compact. In fact, there was a very well-known case out of Australia where that's exactly what happened. The worker was engaged in sexual activity when injured, and um, the Australian court upheld an award of benefits on that very theory. I know you wrote extensively on this subject uh, of personal comfort doctrine a number of years ago. Where can one find your article, Alan? Well, I did the article for a treatise. It's a Thompson and West publication called Causes of Action. And the actual site, and I think you may be even be able to pull it up online, it's, it's in 22 COA second. That's Causes of Action second. That's a treatise. And I had a collection of cases from around the country uh, I think that was published in 2003 or 2004, and there have obviously been decisions written since then and uh, changes and um, expansion and retraction of benefits, depending, again, on the jurisdiction. Okay, and if, if one wants to reach you and ask you questions about this topic or any other topic you've covered, um, just give out your contact information briefly again. I'd be happy. Uh, my website is ppnlaw.com. I can be reached at A Pierce, A P I E R C E, at ppnlaw.com. And uh, my phone number is 978 Great. We've reached the end of uh, this episode. Uh, listeners, thank you very much for joining us. I'd like to give a special word of thanks to our guest, uh, my dad, and uh, uh, just general, all-around workers' compensation good guy, Alan Pierce, for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure hosting today. And for those of you uh, listening, please tune into our next show, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and visit our sponsors, PINow.com and CasePacer.com, and go out and make it a day that matters. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network. Hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other workers' comp matter shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.